Welcome, Charlton fans, to another episode of Brownie and Benji. The season is over, but Brownie and Benji are back for at least one final episode. Who knows what will come in the future after that. Very excited, as always. I am Benji Nurek. I'm joined here today by Steve Brown. More than 240 appearances for the club. Two different promotions. You may have heard him this season on Valley Pass. As always, thrilled to be joined by Brownie. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Benji. How are you? I am good. You know, a little bit uh, trying to figure out what to do with myself now that the season's over. But the good news is it'll probably be a fairly busy summer as well. Yeah, there should be lots to talk about over the summer. I think there's a big rebuilding job to be done. We'll discuss that, I'm sure, at some point during the podcast. I think uh, it has to be done at the end of the season. You you expect people to wonder what's going to happen, who's Mm. going to stay, who's going to go, who they're going to keep on, what targets they're going to be looking for. Well, I mean, start first and foremost, what budget they're going to get. Mm. That'll be an important one. That'll, that'll, you know, uh, and we obviously aren't going to be privy to that sort of information. I'm sure there's going to be meetings going on over the next Mm. week or so with with Thomas and Nigel, and and they'll be thrashing out Mm. a budget that's suitable for, for next year. Absolutely. And obviously those, those questions, especially with a, with a situation like Charlton are in where there's so much uncertainty around the bulk of their squad, there are questions that must be answered. And we will get into those. But firstly, really quickly, because I don't want to spend too long on it, because obviously it ended up being quite an underwhelming afternoon in the end. But let's, let's talk about the, the final day of the season, the victory against Hull, before we get into contracts and players that might be staying and leaving. It, uh, as I said, was a bit underwhelming because Oxford had a 2-0 lead within 30 minutes and a 3-0 lead early in the second half. So even though Charlton's game was up for grabs, there wasn't that much to play for because everyone knew that Oxford needed to drop points. But it was a good win. I mean, even though the champions had little to play for, it still showed potentially what can be looked forward to for next season. One win in 10 since Nigel Atkins came in. The, I mean, one defeat in 10 since Nigel Atkins came in, only against Peterborough. There are positive signs for next season. Yeah, it's always good to end you know, positively and strongly, which Charlton have done. Um, I think if we go back a couple of months when everybody was going, look, we've got a period of games where we need to win and it had teams that were in the bottom half and struggling and we didn't win as many as we should. We looked at that running thinking we're not going to get a lot out of that. Mm. So when you look at how we finished, and I know Lincoln changed their side and, uh, you know, with half nine and plus, and I know Hull were champions, but you've still got to do the business. You've still got to find a way to win those games. And we did, um, particularly the Lincoln game where the changes were made at half-time and we looked very, very strong second half. I mean, we ripped through them in, in, in 20 minutes. You know, the game was effectively over with half an hour to go sort of thing. So, you know, that was a strong performance. Um, I guess the one thing for me is, is, is the inconsistency that's been there this year. And there is a reason for that. Mm. If you look at what's happened across the season, we've had a change of manager. We've had a lot of injuries, Benji. I don't think people appreciate how hard it is when you lose two centre-halves who were banging form. We looked very, very strong, barely conceding a goal. Uh, you know, winning, I think we won six out of seven, did we? Or six something like that early on. Yeah, six in a row. And we were looking very strong. And, and I, think, I think that run gave everybody a little bit of a false mm. reading on how strong we were as a team at that point. But nevertheless, you know, with all the issues we had to be fighting on the last day, I think personally, mm. you know, was... Was a was um, um, a surprise for me. I didn't expect with all the things that were going on at Charlton that we would be fighting on the last day, particularly if you go back about eight weeks. 
about eight weeks ago, you're thinking, well, we're done, let's look for next season. And then not the change of manager came in and we had a little positive uh, burst, didn't we? That gave us, uh, again, that hope. Um, mm. So I was a bit disappointed in Burton's team. I didn't know it at the time. I said, on, you know, I said in commentary on Saturday, I expect that to be a tough one for Oxford because I, the way Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank gone in there and turned things around, mm. I didn't think they were just going to lay down. And then someone tweeted, actually, well, yeah, Burton would have been a tough game, but Burton reserves wasn't a tough game. And I just thought there'd be a little bit more from Burton, you know. Mm. I, I thought they'd yeah. cause a few more issues. But there you go. It wasn't to be. Oxford got, got, got the job done. And mm. uh, what, what I will say is, and I said it after the game privately to, to Curbs, actually, I said of all the teams in the playoffs that were cemented in the playoffs, the one they wouldn't have wanted to get in was us. Yeah, I think they'll all be. I think they'll all be very happy that Oxford made it, mm. and it's not us. I think out of Oxford, Portsmouth, and Charlton, with the form we were in, with the players returning, you know, with Chucks coming off the bench, with Washington available again, I think mm. they they are delighted we didn't make it. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you there. And obviously, you know, I, I do think it's a mini achievement in itself to make it to the last day and still be in the hunt because there were so many things that were obstacles in Charlton's season this, this, this year, not least even just not having a home crowd. And while obviously that's the same for every team, I do think there's, there's something about when you're a big club like Charlton who has such a strong home support, especially in a season that would have gotten big attendances, you know, after the summer and all the problems with the ownership, having Thomas come in and sort of re-energize the club I think there would have been some really exciting home crowds and obviously the, the home form was just just awful and just as bad really as yeah. it could get but next season they'll have a reset on that home form and with crowds in the stadium there should be no reason I think why there would be any sort of psychological hangover from the home form this season that should really just reset in my mind but it is it's hard not to feel slightly disappointed because due to the failures of the other teams around them there was a chance and obviously there are so many moments you can look at the missed penalties against Oxford and Peterborough the late goal against crew etc 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 ultimately though the damage was likely done in the in the late manner that, that the squad had to be built in and the not not having the time to really build a squad that is based on want and instead building a squad that was based on who do you need to fill the positions and and ultimately it's hard to come back from that because Charlton had weaknesses in their squad. There's no getting around that. And in the end, it probably was just too much to overcome. But while it was, I guess, a slightly disappointing season in the end, there were still highlights, admittedly, maybe not as many as in a normal season where there are fans in the stadium and that kind of excitement. But, um, you know, I like to I like to focus on some positives. So, Brownie, what, what was your highlight of the season if you had to pick a moment or a game or an individual situation? I, I thought, I mean, don't forget, I came in quite late. So mm. I came in around the Christmas time. I didn't work uh, every week immediately from that point. It was only sort of the back end of January that I became a bit of a more permanent fixture. The standout performance for me, the one I enjoyed the most, was mm. the Sunderland away game. Okay. Where it, it had a little bit of everything. We had to win. You know, if we were going to save the season and, and, and elongate it, if you like, and still mm. have an interest in the playoffs. We had to go up to Sunderland and win. They hadn't lost at home since the middle of January. They hadn't been beaten in about 15 games. or only had one loss or something in 15, 16 games. Uh, they were in great form at that point. And we went up there and put on a performance that was, was a bit of everything. It was solid. It had goalkeeper making, making saves at crucial times. It, uh, it, had a, it had goals in it and it kept a relatively good forward line 
quiet, quiet. Mm. And we come away from there with a 2-1 win. And I, I think that was the moment where they thought, actually, the season's still alive. I think if we'd have yeah. lost that, I think they would have gone, OK, it's too much of a gap. But because they won that and in the manner that they won it, mm. that, was, um, that was a big highlight for me because of, because of the character shown within the performance. Mm. I mean, the performance, you can look at the 6-0 win at Plymouth, but that's, that's a different kind of win. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you've got to show some serious backbone and character to go up to Sunderland in the form they were in and turn them over. And, it, and, and I like to see those battling qualities along with, you know, a bit of technical ability and a, and a, mm-hmm. and a good sound team performance. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. It was a long way to go for me, but I got there and, and was rewarded with what I thought was a terrific performance. It, it really was. And as you said, Sunderland at that point were in phenomenal form and really looking like they may sort of race away with the with a, with a top two and automatic promotion spot. And obviously that was kind of a crack in their season that ended up developing further. And it really was one of the first signs of that. I think for me, I have, I have two moments that I picked between and I couldn't, I struggled desperately to pick one between these two. But the first is the 5-2 win against Wimbledon in December, particularly those two minutes in the second half when Charlton went from 2-1 down to 3-2 up and what was so special for me about that moment was that there were 2,000 fans in the stadium and even just 2,000 going from no fans a few weeks before to 2,000 it really did feel like there was noise and it really did feel like just that small amount of people was pushing the whole team on and I do think it had an impact in the in an effect on that second half performance obviously the substitutions of Chuck Sanike and Johnny Williams who I think changed that game also had an impact but I really felt those 2,000 fans and it felt really special for that reason and obviously scoring twice in in three minutes in the second half or whatever to turn a game from losing to winning is going to be a fantastic moment regardless and so for me that was really really special particularly as just a few days earlier fans had been allowed into the ground for the for the game against MK Dons and Charlton lost 1-0 and they really didn't have anything to celebrate on a bitterly cold night so then to follow it up with that Wimbledon that really thrilling Wimbledon game where the fans had something to not only celebrate but a lot to be excited about. I thought that was very special. And then a few months later, the 3-2 win against Bristol Rovers when Charlton came from 2-0 down. I thought that was also a very special moment. Obviously, there weren't fans in the ground, but I think everyone associated with Charlton wanted to see Johnny Jackson be successful, even if it was for just that one game. And so to go 2-0 down on a night where I think people were really, you know, hopeful of a lot, um, and then to come back and win that 3-2 with a late goal, I think that was also a very, very special moment this season, even if it was ultimately just the one Johnny Jackson game in, in, in the total season. So those those would have to be my two. I think I would probably go for the Wimbledon one slightly ahead of it just because, as I said, having those fans in the ground was very special. Yeah, they're two, they're two good picks. And, uh, and, and, you know, you say there was 2,000 fans, you know, imagine when it's 27, 28, yeah. which, you know, I've played in front of regularly. And, you know, if you're not having a good day, they'll let you know. But when you're having a good day, it's a, it's a great place to play. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, in my time there, uh, by and large, they, the support was absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even when things weren't so great, they were still very encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. It's only if you didn't try. That's the only time. <laughs> if, the, if, the, if the supporters felt like you hadn't given your lot, your 100%, that's when you got a bit more stick than you usually got. They can accept poor performances. Charlton fans always have been able to accept poor performances, but they don't accept what they consider to be a lack of effort. Mm. You know, that's been a cornerstone of Charlton for for decades. Mm. But yeah, two good picks. 
Um, and I get the fan one. I, I really do. You know, and things like that, my brain doesn't na- naturally go there because, you know, I've been working quite a lot before that with no fans. And I was at that Wimbledon game. Mm. And and I thought the substitution, I thought Charlton were coming back into the game and questioned. I was working with BBC at the time. I questioned the two substitutions and then, <laughs> and then they just went and destroyed Wimbledon. And, and I backtracked and said, "What? What? You know, and that's why management is so tough because you can make those subs and they can work. You can make those subs and they fall flat, and you don't know until you've made them. But it takes a bit of bravery to make them, but to make them that quick into the second mm. half, and it really did change the game. Mm. But yeah, no, I forgot. You do forget, and I forgot about the fans being allowed in. Um, and like you said, it's um, they're going to be allowed uh, certainly back into the mm. Premier League games uh, towards the end of the season. It's a shame we haven't made the playoffs because we'll really be is. able to go into the playoffs as well, and that would have been very, very exciting for everybody. But I mean, the fans will be back next season, and obviously, I think yep. you know, it, it was hard not to come away from this season with a appreciation for what fans in the ground, what that actually means for football, because there were a lot of games that even though I love football and I love watching football, and obviously I feel incredibly privileged to be able to be in the ground this season, there were a lot of games where I felt this is actually far less interesting because we don't have the atmosphere and we don't have the fans, we don't have the celebrations and all everything that goes into that. But fortunately, I think that will be a thing of the past going forward. And it seems like Charlton are going to be selling a lot of season tickets, already have been selling a lot of season tickets. So should be a good atmosphere at the Valley next season in what will be a very different team and hopefully a very different season going for promotion from the start. But I know a lot of people on Twitter, they, they were asking about the squad. And I think that really was what they wanted this episode to be about. So without further ado, we will start to go into that. I've, I've got it all written down on my trust Google Doc set out for this episode. So firstly, just to start with, there's there's nine players contracted past the start of July, ten players out of contract, and five loan players uh, who, who's, whose loan spells are ending. So that really, I mean, that, that gives an, a, a real good picture. 24 players in total, 15 have deals that are ending, which is more than, than half, a real majority. But just really quickly, the players that are contracted – for next season are Ashley Maynard Brewer, Ryan Innes, Chris Gunter, Ben Purrington, Albie Morgan, Alex Gilby, Dia Young Jayasimi, Connor Washington, and Ronnie Schwartz. And while it's only nine, I do feel like that's a fairly good base to build from. Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, it is a good base, but it's not it's not where you want to be ideally, is it? I mean, in an ideal world, you need your, your 16, 17 set from the previous year and you're adding. Uh, and what they normally say is if, if, if you've got a squad of, say, 16 left mm. and you add another four or five, then what happens is, is from out of that four or five that you sign, you're hoping they're going to be strong enough to break into the team. And what mm. was in your team last year filters down one. And so that's how you build and get stronger and stronger every year. It'd be interesting to see because obviously we won't, ever know what Nigel Atkins feels about the nine that have got contracts for next season you know and this is the sad reality is he might sit there going well five of them I don't want yeah and we don't know that and I wouldn't I wouldn't make assumptions at this point because it's unfair to do so mm. right but but he might be sat there so it looks great on paper we've got you know, in terms of what you're saying we've got nine there's a call we can add to that he might not want five of those nine yeah so realistically there's four Mm. which means there's a huge rebuilding job to do. Um, I think there is anyway, because what you've got here is a new manager coming in late, 
assessing the squad. Like I said, he might he might want all nine of them. He might be over the moon he's got all nine on. He might want three or four of them. We just don't know. Mm. Um, and, and the reality is, he knows what he wants next year in terms of his style of play. Mm. I think he's had to make do this year. I think we've seen little snippets where he has two wide players out and out when he can. Mm. He has absolutely two out and out wide players. Whether he plays a two, you know, two strikers. I've said this to you before about two strikers, but they're strikers and one drops in and takes the deepest midfielder or does he go with a five-man midfielder and a lone striker? That remains to be seen. So we don't quite know what formation he wants to play, uh, how he sees that philosophy within that formation. Mm. And then you make your signings accordingly. Now, when you're making your signings, that's all geared to budget, which again, we, we won't be privy to, Benji, because that's yeah. a private conversation between... Thomas Sangard and Nigel Adkins, but the more the manager's job, I've been there, is to get as much money out of the chairman as he can. The chairman's job is to give you as little as he can whilst making you prepare. So there's this little cat and mouse game going on. You always want to try and leave a little bit of budget in reserve mm-hmm. for an injury. You sign a, you make a worldy signing. Um, and like we've seen with Jake Forster Casti, they get a long term injury and mm-hmm. you've got to replace them if you've, if you've, if you're over budget, for argument's sake, if you've managed to sneak a little bit more money and that happens, you're looking at the loan market and you're looking at somebody who's going to allow you to have a player for free just mm. to get the games. You know, so there's 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 lots of things that need to be that weighed have up. to yeah, absolutely. And everyone just thinks it's a case of just putting your finger in and going, right, we'll take him from West Ham, we'll take him from uh, you know Bristol City or whatever. And it's just not the case. It's mm. it's a lot more complex than that. It's the hardest thing. And I know. I had a little chat with Steve Gallen just a couple of weeks ago after the Atkinson game. Steve was very much looking forward to the summer, you know, looking forward to, to actually, I think, having a little bit of money where he can go around and pick a player rather than just beg, steal and borrow. Mm. Um, and and uh, But he, he also recognised, you know, that it, it wasn't going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we, although we're all absolutely over the moon that we've now got an owner that's investing, we have to be extremely patient, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and understanding about how difficult recruitment is. But what, what I will say is, if you was an agent last year and Charlton Athletic phoned you up, you'd go, I don't really want to push my player towards Charlton. It looks unstable. It's got an ownership that looks like just, it's just like vultures picking at a carcass. Mm. And, 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 and I would have been hard pressed if I was a player looking from the outside in to actually join Charlton. Um, at that point, whereas they've not got that this year. If you phone an agent this year and say, we're interested in your player, they're seeing investment. They're seeing the women's team be part of the Charlton fold mm-hmm. again. They're seeing how many season tickets are suddenly flying out the door. Um, they're seeing that it's a club very much working its way back to where it mm-hmm. should be, which is in the in, in the upper pyramids of the, of, of, of the league structure in this country. So in that respect, I do think they're going to find things a lot easier to at least get the player around the table. <laughs> they won't be relying on friendships uh, to, 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 to try and get a player through the mm. door. I think we can actually compete with every other club in League One. I think we could probably compete with the, with the lower budget teams in, in the Championship, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. We could probably trump them, just purely on the fact that people are going to think that we're in with a shout at the top end of, of the league next year. So it's going to be winning more games than losing. You know, you know, this is all again assumptions being made. But at least, at least you're not getting a player 
take the phone call going, who's interested? Charlton? No, I'm not interested, which is, I'm, I'm pretty positive that happened a lot last summer mm. because just because of the state the club was in. Yeah. Um, or you had not good uh, vibes. Or you had far clubs who, uh, who you would call up a club, say, we're interested in your player, and they would say, okay, we're, we, we could do a deal. Then it stalls because you don't have the money to actually spend it right now. You say, give us two weeks, give us three weeks. By the time you, you're ready to try to sign the player, they are off to another club. I know for a fact that happened with numerous players last, last summer. And, and as you say, you know, it's a, it's a much more attractive club to be joining this summer. And while it is a big rebuilding job, which Charlton are not exactly unfamiliar with, the idea of because it's been that way for quite a few years it's also a potentially exciting building job this season because for the this summer because for the first time in really years and years and years Charlton have the potential to try to develop that squad of 16 15 16 17 players who could stick around for next season at least the bulk of them who, who which would mean that next summer you only have to add three four five players who could if the club were to go up could uh, do it in the championship as well you know it as you said in, in previous years it's been really scraping the bottom of the barrel and asking for favors begging for players you know just trying to get a squad that's a competitive enough and b actually has all the positions filled whereas this time it's going to be we actually want that player because we think they're a good player and they could grow with our team and now we have an option to actually try to go out and pursue them so I do think it is you know an exciting time to build and hopefully they'll be able to get the business in that they need but it, there is there is reason for optimism heading into the summer but I mean as you're yes yes Brownie what? <laughs> yeah no I was just I was just saying there's a, there's a flip side to it though mm -hmm. and the flip side is and I've been involved at a club where it's been like this suddenly you have a new owner who they know has got, mm. uh, you know, uh, a sum of money, you know, it, it, uh, and they know that he wants to get out of League One. Mm -hmm. So what you can't do is go from the desperate situations we were in last summer and maybe the summer before to people holding you to ransom because they know your chairman's got money. And yep. this is why I think people have to be patient and understand more about football as a business. Mm -hmm. So once you get known as a chairman that you can push and get more out of it, the agents come calling you because they suddenly sniff a bit more money for their for their client and for themselves so you've got to play a very you know a good poker hand you've got to have a good poker face where you have to be able to walk away from some deals where you feel like you're being held to ransom mm -hmm. so some deals although we're saying we're in a great position to now negotiate with with players this year in much better position than we have been previously you also can't get hoodwinked by mm -hmm. players that are just looking to get that one-year deal maybe that two-year deal or more money than they should be earning mm -hmm. so there's a, a real cat and mouse game goes on in regards to recruitment and and just because they know Thomas Sangard is worth you know a couple of quid wouldn't mind being a pound behind in Benji to be fair but um <laughs> you know he also has to understand if he just starts throwing money around to get players through the door to try and win a promotion you get you can attract the wrong kind of player mm -hmm. and, and obviously uh, what makes that just a little bit more I guess likely or what makes that just a little bit more of a real situation that they're gonna have to deal with is that Thomas 
for good and for bad. I mean, I think there's, there's very much positives to it as well. But he's made his ambition really clear. He's said he's put out a specific timeline. He said he wants to reach the Premier League within five years, whether that's a realistic timeline or just, you know, ambition of being excited and coming into the new club. And he is an ambitious guy. It does mean that teams will be seeing that and going, well, if you want to reach the Premier League within five years, what is the method to do that? Well, normally it's to spend money. And so that means that, that we are now going to be looking at that situation as being one where we can probably profit from as well but you know you you did mention of those of the nine players contracted for next season it does it, it, it isn't less less clear than just there's nine players to build around because each of those players have individual situations within the club and within Nigel Atkins mind and just just to go through them really quickly of the nine Ryan Innes Alex Gilby Jayasimi Connor Washington those are probably the only four that were anything close to consistent starters under Nigel Atkins. Then you've got Chris Gunter, Ben Purrington, Albie Morgan, who played but weren't consistent starters or regulars under Atkins. And then you've got Ashley Maynard Brewer, who are obviously very young, and, and Ronnie Schwartz, who, who barely played at all. So those there are nine players under contract, but only, I would say, Innes, Gilby, Jayasimi and Washington are anything close to sort of secure in their places for next season. And even all those four, probably not all of them are going to be necessarily guaranteed starters next season. So as you said, tons and tons of work to do, which again, I'm going to choose to say that that's exciting, but it's also a little bit daunting. And there are 10 players out of contract. So I think firstly, I'm going to read the list out. Then we're going to go through each individually and we're going to discuss each case for a minute or two and we're going to see where we get to as, as a duo. But the 10 players out of contract are goalkeeper Ben Amos, right back Adam Matthews, center back Jason Pierce, center back Deggio Shalaja, defensive midfielder Darren Prattley, defensive midfielder Ben Watson, central midfielder Jake Forster-Kasky, central midfielder Andrew Shinney, and striker Chuck Sanike. You got the list memorized, Brownie. <laughs> I have actually. You know, yeah, I'm pretty good with. I'm pretty good with it with, with games when it's when it's football. My brain is pretty bad memory wise, as you well know. Uh, but it's not bad, you know, in, in short term. But yeah, I, I mean, look. But again, we can make our. No, but yeah, well, you're going to go through one by one, so it's not like I need to remember. But the fact of the matter is. These you have to remember when we give what we would do, mm-hmm. right? That this is this is a personal choice from our mm-hmm. perspective, and every fan will have a personal choice from their perspective. Yep. I will say this: the only perspective that matters is Nigel Atkins. Um, but we can still give what we would, what, mm-hmm. what we think we would want in our team, and that's what makes football so exciting and so. You know, in terms of in terms of spectator sports, so well followed. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, fire away. And, and and what I will give you is not my. I'm not going to give you what my uh, decision would be. I'm going to give you what I think the decision will be cool. yes. coming from a club's club's perspective. All right. Me as well. See, see where we get. See where we get. I'm going to look at it similarly. And obviously, you know, ours are only semi-informed opinions, whereas Adkins and yeah. Tom Sangard and Steve Gallen are going to be making these decisions based on far more information and data. So absolutely, we'll do our absolutely. best. And maybe at the end of the window, we can see how many we got right. But starting in yeah. rural, Ben Amos, out of contract. Well, Ben's is an interesting one. Um, why hasn't that been tied down? 
That's why. That's what I'd say about that. Is it Ben that hasn't wanted to tie it down? Is it the club that haven't tied it down? It'd be interesting to know why that hasn't, or a negotiation hasn't even started. So, so mm. my my brain tells me that if there's no negotiation started, and, and again, forgive me if a negotiation has started and I have not heard about it. I'm not a big reader of social media, and I don't read an awful amount of news on football. Quite a lot of the things I'm told word of mouth. I don't go searching for information. But if there is a contract that's been offered, I apologise. But, uh, you know, why hasn't there been one signed, sealed and delivered for Amos if you want him in goal next season? He has been excellent at times. And every now and again, you, you frown at one and go, should have maybe done a bit better with that. But quite honestly, I think he's been one of the better performers. Mm. I really do. I think he's commanded his box well. He's, he's positioning in terms of coming for crosses and sweeping up behind the centre-half, particularly since Nigel's turned up, has been excellent. You know, that, that line's tried to get a little bit higher, which means Amos has had to come a little bit further out of his box to, to, to sweep up a little bit behind. I thought he's done that very, very well. Distribution is always a question mark. However, Dean Kiley's distribution was always question mark. He was one of the best keepers I've ever seen. So, uh, he's one I would sign, personally, mm-hmm. because I just think... I just think he, his performances this year deserve another contract, whether you want to make him number one or, or you bring in somebody else to fight. Um, depending on what he earns, that's an expensive position to have a num- you know, two number ones, if you like, mm-hmm. fighting it out. You may want to save some money there and have, have a, an absolute number one and a number two. Uh, but I do think in terms of consistent performance this year, he has been one of the best in the Charlton squad. And therefore, in my eyes, should deserve another crack. Yeah, I would. He, he did win second. He got second place in player of the season voting. And obviously, while he wasn't perfect, there were a number of sort of long shots he maybe could have done better with, particularly through the winter months. But I don't think it's a coincidence that his biggest struggles came at a time when Charlton's defense was struggling most. And then he improved once Charlton's defense started to play better late in the season. And obviously he was excellent at the start of the season when Charlton were keeping clean sheet after clean sheet after clean sheet. I do wonder if potentially Ben Amos would think that he has an opportunity of a championship move because he has been good for the most part. And obviously goalkeepers, it it can be difficult to find good goalkeepers. So I I wouldn't be that shocked if they had championship interest. Um, On the other hand, I know Ashley Maynard Brewer is incredibly highly rated within the club. He obviously has really struggled with injuries, particularly concussions, which is no small issue and is serious. So I don't know how much caution there is around that. But Charlton, I mean, in the past, they have thrown keepers in. Obviously, Dylan Phillips got his chance, admittedly a bit enforced, but he was thrown in and managed to keep his job. Obviously, going back to your day, it's quite a long time ago, and it doesn't hold much bearing. Sasha Illich was sort of in and ended up flying a bit so you know maybe it could be a situation where where Ashley Maynard Brewer gets a chance if 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 Ben Amos isn't kept um but I do think that they'll have to probably go out for another goalie if he doesn't stay but as as you said I would keep him I think he's been good enough and that's one less player and one less position that you have to worry about and one less player that could potentially not perform next season so I'd be keeping him moving on to right back and we've got Adam Matthews yeah, and that's another one where he spent time on the sidelines, had a couple of injuries. Gunter's mm-hmm. come in, we brought to the club. Gunter's here next season, we know that, uh, because you've just said that about players that are already signed on for next year. Is is that a position 
that you think, well, we're paying Gunter good money. You know, uh, for, for that money, I need to, he needs to be playing every week. If you don't fancy Gunter, if you think to yourself, well, actually, uh, he's not my kind of a fullback. I mean, the, the, the beauty of Gunter is he can slide across the centre half. Mm. I mean, that's ideal, but he can make a, he can slide into make it a three. You can go from a back four to a three with him in the side with very little uh, disruption to the team. Uh, so in that respect, you know, do, do you do you look at somebody coming through the youth team as your backup at right back, young Charlie Barker? No, he's he's played out at right back a few times, hasn't he? So mm-hmm. do, do you save do you save a little bit more money there? Because the one thing I will say about all the signings, if you look at all the sides that were promoted this year, Benji, and it's pretty mm-hmm. much the same in any league, really. It's the front guys that score 15, 20, 30 goals. If you've got 50 goals across your front line, you've got a chance of promotion. And that's why people tend to spend uh, an, a bit more money on strikers and pay them a little bit more money. Mm. But when you do that, when you do that, there is a forfeit in terms of what you have across the rest of your squad. So you might actually spread yourself a little bit thin in other areas to make sure that you get the top the best strikers that are available out there for for you for next season. And I just wonder if that's a position. Again, without knowing their wages, Benji, it's really, mm. really difficult because wages are a factor. I don't care what anyone says. Wages are a massive factor in why a player might get another year or two, um, you know, whether they've been inconsistent or not. You know, if, if, you, if you're good around the training ground, you're good in the dressing room, your wages aren't too taxing. You know, sometimes that gets you another year on its own just mm. because they, they know you're reliable. You're never late to training. You know, you toe the party line in terms of when you're doing media interviews, you're a great egg in the dressing room. You know, that all those things factor in at the end. And if your wages are, are at a level where the club goes, listen, we can do that for another year, no problem. Bang, you get another 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things have to be factored in as well. Uh, for me, I, th- I thought Matthews, you know, when he was when he's in form, he's a good player. But there's just an inconsistency again in there, and there's a, there's an injury here and an injury there, mm. and a bit of inconsistency. And it's a bit like Perrinson on the other side. You know, when he comes in and plays well, you, you just think, great, excellent fullback. And then the following week, he's left out, or he, he plays poorly and he's left out. And that's, you know, if we're talking, and, and and you have to make this point as well. And I was just about to say about the goalkeeper. You talk about putting a young lad in next season if Amos goes. When the expectation levels are that we are pushing for promotion, mm-hmm. unfortunately, youth doesn't necessarily come into your thinking because you don't need the inconsistencies and you don't need mistakes yeah. that quite often come with young players. You have to go for a bit of experience. The, the, the point in having a, in a squad that that is is vying for a promotional spot is it, it's got to have a fantastic balance of experience. Mm. It's got a pace. Uh, it's got a. It's got to have a really strong spine. You know, they're the ones that that challenge at the end of the season. And like we've just mentioned, it's got to have a very, very good front line. Mm. And fullbacks normally you go with two strong fullbacks, and then the backup to the fullback position is not so strong. That's somewhere where you sometimes try and save a little bit of money. Mm. And if you can get a fullback like we've said about Gunter that can double up as a centre half, if you're really in trouble. You know that's a blessing as well. So I, I'm I'm not so sure on the Matthews one. I'm not so sure because I, I just think they look at Gunter and they look at what he's earning and they look at can they can they have cover there? You know, have they got good enough cover coming through the ranks? Is the backup 
in our academy good enough to, to cover that position in frequently? Do they think Gunter's done well enough this year? Will they try and offload Gunter? Mm. You know, it's it's it, honestly, mate. It's it's a minefield what you're asking us to discuss here. It, um, it really is. I I think personally, yeah. my, my view of it is is quite similar to you. I'm I'm unsure on Matthews in part because I think Matthews has been more impressive than Gunter this season. I think he can mm. do a bit more in that Matthews does offer something going forward. Not always, but. Some of the time he, 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 can, he can offer a threat going forward, whereas Gunter, I think, at his best is solid, if unspectacular. The, the issue is I'm not 100% convinced that either are good enough, in yeah. which case one would have to be uh, offloaded, and Matthews might just be easier because he's out of contract, whereas Gunter has another year. So Matthews might have to be sacrificed, even though I actually think he's probably the better option. And that's, and that's the conundrum, isn't it? I mean, if they could get rid of both and bring in a right-back of their own choice, they might do that. What we have to remember as well, Benji, this is a squad that we're picking holes in, like lost one in 15. You know, so we've got to be really careful. It's like I said, in an ideal world, and this is what makes football so fascinating, mm-hmm. is that you can have 100 supporters sat down listening to this now, and you might have five agree. You know, you know, and everybody sees it differently. You know, and 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 my point is, you, particularly in the fullback areas, or defensively, right? You're looking for players that are consistent. They're seven out of ten, eight out of ten, and they might drop every four or five games to a five, but they'll bounce straight back with a seven or eight. And we didn't get that this year. Whoever we played across those in those areas. We just didn't get that. And if you put Martson at left back, he was brilliant going forward. But I have question marks at times over his defending. Now, he'll go back to his parent club. right? So left back, I think, I mean, Perrington signed on for another year. I'm not sure that'll be Nigel's first choice left back. I think he'll be looking for somebody else at left back. Mm. You know, and I think it's the same at right back. I think if there's a deal to be done, I think Nigel will do the deals and bring in a right back of his own choice. But if he can't do the deals then it's which one he picks out of. I mean, Gunter's signed on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can't see, I can't see Gunter moving on. So it's, it's just whether you want to spend money on another right back or you go with Gunter and say, listen, this is your spot. You have Charlie Barker or whoever else is within our new structure as your, as your backup. Um, it's a tough one. But yeah, I, I think, I think if you're Matthews, um, yeah, I, uh, again, it, it, that for me, that's down to finances. Mm. It depends what it depends what he earns, Benji. Is, is what I'll say to that one. Yeah, I'd I'd probably agree with you there. And there are obviously going to be tough decisions, and some potentially harsh uh, decisions are going to have to be made. Whether that means sort of keeping or letting go of players who maybe were yeah. good at times this season, it's it's just decisions that might have to be made. And I do think the fullbacks are an area of interest and something that needs to be addressed and uh, I'm sure both will be because obviously Matson's going back to his parent club and Ben Purrington was only a part-time starter and Matthews and Gunter both struggled a bit to, to nail down that spot and there's a reason why both played a lot of games this season and part of it was injury and part of it was form but um, yeah it, it will certainly be interesting to see I think we're both sort of on the fence then with Adam Matthews but um, moving on we've got two center backs on the list Jason Pierce and Deji Oshalaja. Um, firstly just I'll, I'll, I'll say I think that Oshalaja will likely go it seems incredibly likely yeah. at this point he hasn't he didn't appear on the pitch um, after the 3-0 defeat to Blackpool in his time 
does seem to be up, and that'll probably just be the best-case scenario for everyone. But Jason Pierce is a more interesting case because first half of the season, I would have said he's probably on his way out, even though he is the captain. Second half of the season, he played his way back into contention. And just personally, I think I would keep him. Admittedly, obviously, wages have to be looked at. But I would keep him. I would see potentially, depending on what he's on, if he'd be interested, not interested, but if he'd be willing to take a slight pay cut because obviously he's not going to want to. But because I wouldn't be planning on having him as a starting center back next season, but in what will be a very new squad, a squad full of players coming from different clubs hopefully a squad that's younger I do think his experience could be vital and he showed this season that he can still do it admittedly with some mistakes and I would hope that he isn't the starter next season but I do think he has something to offer yeah so on this one I'd probably speak a little bit from personal experience um being that I was the center half and and when your time's up Sometimes you feel like you get moved on a little bit early. I, I certainly feel like I was moved on a little bit early from Charlton. Mm. I did. I got to a point in my career, Benji, where I I wouldn't have expected to have played if I'd have stayed. Okay. And so, therefore, I think I think there was a value in keeping me another year. And I think having sat down with Curbs the following summer, he kind of admitted the same thing. I let you go. We had the you know you have the emergence of John Fortune coming through. I wasn't going to get as much game time, but if you actually approach the player and say, this is the deal. You're not going to play as much, but I do value you around the training ground. I do value your experience. I do value the fact that you absolutely keep your nose clean. You're a great pro. You train properly. You're never late. You can talk to, you can play in the reserves and talk to the kids that are playing in the reserves, valuable lessons they will pick up off of you. Um, and I think there is, it's not done enough in this country. We tend to see a player sort of come towards the end of his career, yeah, move him on. Whereas mm -hmm. I go, when you see a player like Piercy, you go, you have to keep him around the building. They're few and far between. You don't play 500-plus league games, right, with, without understanding your trade mm -hmm. and being, uh, in terms of physically looking after yourself and being, you, you know, in, uh, what's the words I'm searching for? But... In terms of you, you, you do everything the way that football asks you to do it. You look after yourself. You eat and drink the right things. You, you go to sleep at the right times. You turn up at the right times. There is a value to that. Now, everybody listening will probably think, well, you should do that anyway. No, they don't. Players don't do that. There are players that turn up late. There are players that don't sleep before two in the morning. There are players that play on PlayStation till 3 a.m. There are players that drink on a Thursday night. You know. You just don't know about it, but they do. Mm -hmm. So when you get someone like Piercy, who I think actually carried the team for a little bit in those latter stages, he was the reason. I saw him going around pointing at players, making sure we were on it, making mm -hmm. sure he eked out that extra yard out of a player that wasn't quite on it that day. There's a value to that. Now, it's whether Piercy wants to be third or fourth choice. Yep. And he wants to stay in London. And he wants to sit there knowing he's probably not going to see a lot of action next year. Mm. Now, my advice to him would be, yeah, because it's such a good club and you can sit there and you could, you know, he might not get this option. This is what I, this is what I think the club should do. And then Pierce has got to make a decision whether he wants that or he wants to go sideways and play in League One for somebody else to play every week. He may still think he's got something to offer playing every week. Mm. But for me, the offer certainly should be there from Charlton just to have him around the dressing room. 
Because yeah. if you if you have if if Nigel's true to his word and he likes to put kids in, in with the first team and he likes to bring our academy players through, you can't get a much better professional than look at a centre half or right back coming into the first team looking at Pierce again. That's how it's done, mm-hmm. and that's why I think anybody like him, practically the same. I, I would have signed practically this time last year. I'm not so sure I'd sign him again this year, but I would have I definitely would have given him that year last year for exactly what we're talking about now. For bringing yeah. players on, i.e. Jake Forster Caskey when he's in the side. Jake's a good player, but if you've got someone next to you who's in, you know, 35, 36, in great condition, talking, you're going to pick things up, you know. And I would certainly be offering PSC a deal. It, it might not be what PSC wants because there's probably going to be a, a drop in mm. the offer in what he's earning because that's the stage of his career. And that's what he has to weigh up. Does he, does he take the drop, stay here, knowing he's not going to play much? Or does he think he's still got a lot to offer and he wants to be playing every week? But uh, I certainly would make the offer, that's for sure. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think there is, you know, an important dual side to this that sometimes people don't think about, which is that not only is the club having to make the decision of do they want to keep these players, but the players also have to decide whether they want to stay. And so I, I agree, I would make the offer to Pierce, but ultimately it might be up to him whether he feels he can still play every week at another League One club or even, you know, at a, a high-end League Two club and he wants to, to change the scenery. But I would imagine, you know, he started his coaching, uh, he's, he started coaching young kids and he does that, I believe, at Charlton's training ground. So he's got obviously roots in the community, he's got roots in the club. And I would think he'd want to stay and hopefully the club offers him the deal because I do think he's got a lot to offer even if it's more sort of in those less tangible elements of leadership as opposed to the actual on the pitch concrete playing every week but um, yeah that's it. it is an interesting case as with almost all of these but moving into midfield and Charlton of four midfielders who are out of contract Darren Prattley, Ben Watson, Jake Forster Kasky, Andrew Shinney. Ben Watson has a one-year extension option which he has done enough to trigger. I'm not in entirely sure on that whether it's the club's choice or his choice but he's played enough games to qualify for that now we just have to see whether or not he slash the club takes the decision to actually do it but of those four players which are you keeping which are you saying maybe not to uh well one one is is unfortunately you know jake forced forced who who we're obliged you know, and, and it's not concrete. You don't have to. But I absolutely believe Charlton as a football club, you know, as the, the club that I knew and mm. I played for, will we'll give Jake another contract. And, and there's, there's, there's two reasons why you'd give Jake another contract. You know, on one hand, you know you're not getting anything for your money. But on the other hand, at the end of it, if he recovers and he recovers well, which there's no reason why he shouldn't at his age. My understanding is not the same knee, it's the other knee, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly unfortunate. If it was the same knee, that would be worrying. If it's the other knee, that's just extremely unfortunate. No reason why that knee can't repair as well as the other knee. And then at the end of it, there should be a loyalty back towards the club from the player that Mm. says, okay, well, you know, if if you want to give me a two-year deal, he might have to sign for less money, Benji, than he was on this year. You know, and, and that, that might be something. Or the club might say, listen, I mean, if, if you've got anything about you, the club say, well, we'll give you a year to get fit. This is our contract this year. But within it, once you've proven your fitness, it automatically triggers a second year for us on this mm-hmm. money. You know, otherwise, we're only going to give you a six-month deal to get you through the operation and to get you fit. And then, you know, it's a bit of a gamble. It's a bit of a risk. But you might just have, you know, a very fit 
Jake Forster casket at the end of it on, on a deal that's less than he's on now. Because at the end of the day, it is a business, okay? And it's just how... But the right thing to do is offer him something to get him fit and get him through the operation because he did do the injury plan for us. And I've known players, when they're coming out of contract, pull a moody injury with three or four games to go so they know they're going to be fit and get their move in the summer. Okay? Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case with Jake. He played and he wanted to get us promoted. He wanted to get us in the playoffs and he's done his cruciate, uh, you, you know, one game before the end. And so, therefore, we should... We should look after him. So I would keep him. I wouldn't mm. keep any of the others, I'm afraid. I think it's time for a completely new rebuild in that position. And I think you'll find that Nigel probably wants to set up a midfield uh, that's got a little bit more legs to it yep. in some respects, if I can say that. Um, <laughs> it's a bit harsh, but um, uh, but I think he's going to... He looks at the three players, Shinny, Prattley and Watson... And I think he's going to want a more energetic midfield. I think mm. looking at the way he certainly has his wide players, I think there's going to be at least two players in that midfield. If he went to a three, I think he could have a more experienced one with less legs. But I think in front of that would be two players with legs that could go and press. Mm. I think he'll have two wide players that can press. If he doesn't have a five-man midfield, I think he'll have two central midfielders that are extremely energetic. Mm. Right? So in that respect, that's why I can't see a spot for any of those guys. And if you're Ben Watson and you have triggered another year, I think if I was the club, I would say, look, it's in your best interest to look somewhere else because you're just not going to get anywhere near this team this year. And then it's up to him. You know, then the player has a choice. If he's done enough to trigger a year, fair play to the agent for putting that into the contract. You know, we were probably a club <laughs> that were desperate to get players through the door. So you probably could. I've gotten a little bit more at the club than you, you would have done if we weren't desperate. So, therefore, fair play to him and his agent for putting that in there. However, um, I personally, as a player, if I got told I wasn't wanted, right, that's the important bit. Mm. If, if with PSC, you're told we want you here, but you're probably not going to feature, that's, you know, you know, that to me is, is actually a lot, you're showing a lot of respect as a football club. Whereas if, if, if I wasn't wanted and I got told that, you know, you've got a year to run, but you're not going to feature, you're not going to be in the 16, I would run a mile because I want to play. I want to be involved. Um, and mm -hmm. so, therefore, that's, that's a conversation that Ben Watson and Nigel will have to have. But like I said, my own, my own outlook on, on what Nigel thinks or, or the assumptions I'm making is that he's going to want a high energy in midfield from all of his mm -hmm. midfielders. And so, therefore, I think you're going to find that those guys are going to get moved on. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, Alex Gilby, I think, was an example. He wasn't playing under uh, Lee Bowyer at all, but then obviously was brought back into the team under Nigel Atkins. And while I think Alex Gilby has a lot of areas to improve, at least to reach his level he was at in his MK Dons days, he does, he is the profile of that more energetic, more athletic midfielder who can get high up the pitch, make attacking runs, as well as press high up the pitch. And it does seem that is the direction that Nigel Atkins wants to take this midfield. Um, on, on Jake Forster-Kasky, I think, you know, the idea of loyalty is, is talked about a lot in football these days, where obviously there isn't that much of it. And I think sort of, Coming from a supporter view, and obviously within the club, you have to run it more as a business, but coming from a supporter's view, I think you can't really get upset at someone like Lyle Taylor for leaving the club in, in the lurch and, and moving on and, and not being loyal if you also feel that the club shouldn't offer Jake Forster Cassie a new contract and help him get through this time. I think one has to be consistent in their values, and I do think it would be 
it, it would show bad faith, in my opinion, to not at least give Forster Kasky another season to get him fit, get him through the injury, and put him in a position where he can either get a new contract at the club or at a different club next season. But as you say, you're also, if you can get him on either the same terms or slightly reduced terms uh, for a couple of seasons, you might be putting yourself in a position where at the end of this season, going into next season, you suddenly have a, a new player, someone who is very good, Jake Forster Kasky, obviously player of the season this, this year, someone who can really build a, a, a big part of this team. And as you said, you've got him on reduced wages or on wages that are at least lower than what he probably would have gotten had he not done this injury. So I think, you know, there is a business part perspective where it makes sense and is smart, but also just from a people perspective and how you want to run your club, I think you have to be giving Jake Forster Kasky at least terms through this injury and, and into next season. Yeah. But um, well, that's... No, that, that, no, I need to add to that. So, so when you talk about contracts with players that have got injuries, like let's not forget Jake's already had a cruciate ligament injury mm. where we paid him through that, right? So mm. he's going on to have a second one. Now, I obviously did mine when I was young and, and the consequence of that was I always had a contract that had a much lower basic than everybody else, but it had a much higher appearance fee. So my contracts were geared to me playing. And that's the consequence of what happens when you get injured. I don't know if that, I mean, this was a long time ago. And I don't know if agents have wised up or they've found a way to get around that loophole or they moved a player on to somewhere else. But certainly there's a deal to be had where, it, you know, he has to play to make up his money. So you're almost, you know, in covering yourself a little bit that if he, if he doesn't play, he's not breaking the bank in terms of what he's earning. Now, mm-hmm. let's be honest with you. The player could turn around and go, no, thanks. You know, if you give me six months to get fit, I'm not signing that deal. That's fine. And I'll get myself fit and I'll back myself with my ability to go and find another football club after that. Mm. But certainly, certainly like for reasons I've just said, I'd be very, very surprised. And it's, it would not be very Charlton-like if we didn't do anything at all. It mm. just wouldn't be. I'd be extremely surprised and disappointed, actually, if we didn't. And I think the other players at the club, obviously, you know, Jake's a very popular player within the group. And I think there would... It would be hard if I was either coming in as a player or just someone in the squad already. I would look, I'd be, I'd look at the club and think, wow, they're actually not treating their players that well if they just let Jake, Jake go right now and just um, didn't really give him the help that he definitely needs. But it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. It seems like based on no, everything no. Nigel Atkins has said and everything we know about the club, it seems like he will get the help through this injury, which is what should happen. Andrew Shinney's a bit of an interesting case because a few months ago, I would have said, yeah, definitely get him signed up to a new contract. But he obviously barely featured under Atkins and now I do think is probably on his way out. Um, Darren Prattley, Ben Watson, I could see the wisdom in keeping one of them for their experience and they do have something to offer. Ben Watson is more of obviously a passer. Prattley's more defensive-minded, but neither can sort of do both sides of the ball that well. Both have big weaknesses, and I think both would have to be take a back seat and not be players who are starting pretty much every game, which is what at least Prattley was this season, if they were to stay next season. But I, I don't think it would be I think it would make sense to, as you said, do sort of a reset in midfield and get in pretty much entirely new blood. Um, up front, it's a, it's a very interesting case, one that I think a lot of people would probably be wondering about as well as the club. Chuck Sanike, top scorer this season with 15 goals, made just 11 League One starts. What are, what are, what are your thoughts on that situation, Brownie? Uh, did, oh, did we touch on it last week or was this a conversation over somebody else? I'm not sure, but I, I, I need an explanation. From the mm-hmm. club, I don't get it. Um, I never have understood it. The guy comes on and changes games, but can't start a game. 
when he starts a game, he comes off after 60 minutes. Other games, he's not featuring in at all. Um, and he's a handful. Like he's a real handful when he comes on. Mm-hmm. He causes, he causes uh, defences to look unsettled. Mm-hmm. And that has repercussions in terms of our players around him seem to do better because they, you know, because defences drop or they panic a little bit. And that brings other players into the game. Suddenly the right back has to tuck in a little bit when he's attacking the, the right side of centre-half. That leaves more space for Miller. You know, and you saw with the cushioned header to Stockley the other day, you know, he, you know that gives Stockley a licence. He suddenly gets on more crosses because he's not just the lone striker in there. Mm-hmm. You know, marked by two centre-halves. You know, centre-halves are drawn to Chucks and EK and that gives Stockley the opportunity to just be 1v1. And he seems to win a lot more when he's 1v1 with a centre-half. Um, so he's absolutely a player that I think we should keep but is there something medically that's causing him not to play and if there's something medically causing him not to play of course the club's not going to release it because it's going to affect him getting something somewhere else Mm. it's just something that you don't do in football Um, is it something that the Charlton could use against him in a renegotiation do you know what I mean? It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's all these things are cat and mouse. Clubs don't, mm-hmm. clubs aren't just going to chuck money at people, you know. And if there's a way that they can reduce someone's contract, if there's a way they can get people to stay, you know, that they'll, that they need to use it. I, I t- mm-hmm. I've said this before. I had the best year I ever had for Charlton at the age of about 24. 25, and I'd signed five one-year contracts. I walked. Richard Murray invited me to his house. Right, and I'm thinking, happy days. I'm getting a new three-year deal here, the best year I've ever had. You know, sat down and he just went, "Yeah, not having it. I think your knee's going to pop next year, so you're not getting offered as much as you think you're going to get offered, and we're just going to give you another year." And your heart just sinks, and you just think, "My good God, I've just played out my skin for twelve months." You know, but it's a business. Richard was just doing what Richard had to do to get me on board for as little as possible. I've then got to back myself with my belief that I'm, I'm better than that. I'm better than what you've offered me. So do you know what? Let's not, let's not negotiate. And we didn't. We, we shook hands and I walked out. It must have been around sort of February, March that, because I remember shaking hands going, OK, can't accept that this year, Richard. Sorry. And I walked out and I carried on with the season. It, it did eventually sort itself out. But that's the business of the club, is to do that. And it has to be harsh at times. Mm. Now, as great as I think Chucks is, and as great as he has come off the bench, and as great as his unsettling defences, you have to weigh that against the wage that he's earning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and only the guys that deal with the money and the finance know what Chucks is earning. And only Chucks can decide whether he wants to stay, uh, you know, if they, if they decide to reduce the fee. Mm. But... Um, he's certainly a guy that I would even I, I, I'd still have him around come off the bench he causes chaos look how many goals he's got come off the bench it's invaluable look how much unrest he causes when when he comes off the bench to opposition defences but it's extremely frustrating that he can't start I, you know I do, extremely frustrating I, I do think the Chuck situation as you're kind of going through there is one with potentially maybe the most question marks out of all of these because you have so many things to weigh up you have A he was arguably Charlton's best or at least most game-changing player this season. I think I, I, I would have said Jake Forster-Kasky for my player of the season, but Chucks and EK, 
changed so many games virtually on his own, coming off the bench and just causing such mayhem. And to lose a player who has shown that kind of impact would be a big blow, even if you're just losing him from coming off the bench. But at the same time, does he want to stay to be a bit part player? I mean, uh, he's, he's, we, Nigel Atkins has made it pretty clear without revealing the reasons that Chucks isn't going to be a consistent starter. And I don't, I haven't seen or heard anything to expect that that's going to change next season if he is still around. I still think there's an excellent chance that he'll be a, a sub and be coming off the bench. So does he want to stay or does he feel he can start regularly elsewhere? Does the club feel that it's worth it depending on his wage to keep him around as a, as a sub if he does want to stay? So there's, there's so many different things to weigh up. Personally, I think it would be a huge, huge, huge blow to lose him. I think there's only that many players that have the ability that he does to come on and just completely change the, the nature of the game. I mean, we talked about the Wimbledon game earlier in the season. We talked about the Lincoln game where he came on at the break. And it's not just that he's scoring a goal or providing the assist, but virtually from the minute he's come on in these games, the whole complexion of the, of the game is different. The team has gone from being either on the back foot or just kind of mediocre to suddenly being the aggressor, to suddenly being the team on top. And it's no coincidence that's, that that's come through through Chuck Sanike. He just put, puts such uncomfortability into the other team and, and the other team's defense, and he makes them feel scared. And I think it would be a huge, huge issue to lose that. But at the same time, and we'll get into the five loanies in a second, at the same time, this, this team currently has four strikers, Connor Washington, Chuck Sanike, Jaden Stockley, and Ronnie Schwartz. Ronnie Schwartz obviously can't get into the onto the pitch, let alone into the starting 11. And at the same time, I think the club probably does need to bring in another striker. And you can't really have five strikers. So does someone need to leave? And if you can't get rid of Ronnie Schwartz for contract issues for, for age, because obviously there aren't going to be a lot of clubs, I think, interested in him unless he, he, he gets an opportunity to go back to Denmark, then you probably have to sacrifice one of the others to bring in the, the number one striker who can start every game. And then you, you're thinking, is that Stockley, who obviously has started a lot and scored a lot, but potentially hasn't shown quite enough to think that he could be the striker? Or is it Chuck Sanike, who is fantastic, is a great player, but can't start. So you're, you're obviously his, – his, his, uh, his value is capped a little bit by that if he can't start. So you, so you start looking into all these sort of very, very difficult questions where hard decisions are going to need to be taken. But I would do pretty much everything possible to keep Chucks and EK because he's going to win you points next season. He's going to win you quite a few points, and, and that just is invaluable. But um, moving, moving on to the five low knees – it was obviously this season, Akinfam, well, Ian Motson, Matt Smith, Liam Miller, Jaden Stockley. I think automatically we can kind of look at it and go that Motson, Smith, and Miller are heading back to their parent clubs with, with probably then going to head on loan again. But those are not really, I think, options to potentially sign on permanent. Akinfam, well, and Jaden Stockley are more interesting cases. But um, of, of those five in general, would you be looking to keep any of them permanently? What, what, are, what are your thoughts on those five loanies? Yeah, I, I I think Martin will will, will go back, uh, mm. and the, the the move has served its purpose for him in terms of minutes on the pitch, experience in someone's first team. Um, but if you're Nigel, I, I again you you have to pick a left back and a right back based on your philosophy, because I always look at fullbacks as defenders first, uh, and if they attack. You know, we, you know, you ground them enough that they know how to attack, when to attack, when you want them to attack. But Martson, for me, was always an attack first, defence second. 
right? He was actually pretty good at 1v1, but there was other stuff where he positionally was out of position a lot. There was a period where he gave away about three or four goals. The AFC Wimbledon away game was down to him. And there was a game before that, it was down to him. He made two decisions in both those games that cost us. What it does, it affects all the players behind because he's not in the correct position. Right, so defensively, I had a lot of question marks over Martin personally, right? But as an attacking fullback, and what he, and how he linked up with Miller when we were when we were on the front foot as a team, they were terrific, full of life, full of energy. Um, they were threatening with their pace. Um, you know, when when Miller cut inside, he really didn't need asking twice, Martin to go whipping off down the outside. Um, but but I'm not sure. I'm not so sure how Nigel's going to want his fullbacks to operate. Now, if he wants an attacking fullback, he might just loan Martin again. Mm. If he wants his fullbacks to play high and wide, he might just he might just try and loan him for another season. But I would imagine that he's going to go for somebody with a bit more physicality and a bit more experience in that position. Mm. Okay, and we uh, I meant to say about Prattley earlier. The only the only reason you would sign Prattley again is because of the reasons we spoke about Jason Pierce, but also he can nudge in at centre half. So is that a cheap alternative to cover two positions, knowing he's not going to play every week? But if you offer him terms on a, that are favourable to you as a football club, you have got a very hard-working, experienced player that can double up for you at, in two positions. I, I'm, I'm still not sure they'll sign him, um, but but you know that's 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 another thing that I meant to say earlier. With Martin, I think he'll go back. I think Miller will go back, and I think I think the loan deals have worked well for them because it's done exactly what it needed to do for them. Um, and, and obviously it helped Charlton out of a big hole last summer when we mm. couldn't get players in and, and those two loan deals helped enormously. If you look at Stockley, I think Stockley has made it clear he wants to come, which mm. is always a really positive sign for me. Uh, he's coming from Preston back down to London, well, not back down to London, but down to London. He scored, Did he, he made double figures in the end, didn't he? I think he actually ended on eight. Oh, okay, I thought he got to double figures. Right, so the, the one thing you don't want to do if you sign a James Stockley is, is become a long ball team. You don't want to become a long ball team. And I certainly wouldn't sign James Stockley if I was going to play a lone striker. If, if, you've, got, if you've got another striker that's going to work with Stockley, um, then yes, I would, I would consider him. But if, it's, if, you, if, if in your mind your system's only a lone striker, Mm-hmm. Then I probably I probably wouldn't have him in my mind as my number one starter um, because you can he can get isolated and he can become a bit predictable in terms of how we we operate if we're not playing particularly well. But uh, in terms of the centre half, Fainwell, I'd 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 look to to try and sign Fainwell, mm. and that's from a personal perspective because I look at his game and there are a lot of things he needs to improve. But who doesn't win at 21? I look at myself at 21. It was far from, from being a good player, you know, and, and he's got the physicality. He's got the strength. He's naturally left-sided. Um, but where I think, he, you know, positioning again, I've questioned some of the positions, some of the balls that he tries to attack that are five, ten yards off the line that he should be keeping. And you think that you've left a tremendous gap between you and your, uh, your centre-half and the full-back. You're not going to get anywhere near the challenge, you know. And so there's lots of things, decision-making processes that he needs to understand and learn. Um, he needs to be a bit more aggressive with his voice. 
in terms of people around him, organising the, the players in front of him, to the side of him. Uh, that's something he has to develop because there was a header where we conceded a goal very late. I think it was Crew. Crew, yeah. He needs to come on to he needs to come on to that and head it clear. He was uh, Pierce's backpedalling. He heads it two yards down and they score. Fainwell's a yard behind him. He can come onto it and head it clear, no problem. Little things like that are so important that you learn to be dominant. Doesn't matter if you're 21 or 31. Learn to be dominant. If it's yours to win it, call it early, win it. Right. Mm. And I think, I think personally, if you worked with him on a training ground over the course of 12 months to 24 months, I think you've got a very, very good centre half on your hands. If he can iron out all those things that I think he can iron out, they're not hard to iron out, actually. It's just putting the right thought process in at the right moments in the game and understanding that it's happening. That's the biggest thing. Players need to look at it and understand what's happening and understand how you made the mistake last time, why you made the mistake and how to correct it. Mm. Now, if you get a player that does do that and he can grasp it and he can see it and go, no, don't go in there. Stay. You've been told to stay. Coach says stay, right? And then, and then the outcome is successful. That's the more. That's the more most important thing. The outcome that the coach has led you to do is successful. You go, yeah, it works. Right? And then if we can, I think you could have then potentially a very, very good centre half who's quick, physical, naturally left sided, played 150 games in your first team. He's now worth a decent amount of money, mm. and that is probably why I'd be attracted towards Fainwell. Because I think if you can if you can develop him correctly, I think there's a player there that could be worth quite a few quid, mm. particularly if the club progresses as well. Can you imagine if we got promoted and he's played yeah. 50 games, you know, and he's suddenly in the championship, you, you, you know, and that's that's the reason I would lean towards signing him and working with him over 12, 24 months because there's a potential big fee at the end of it if it worked. Yeah, I, I would, to be honest, do pretty much everything possible to try to sign Famo on a permanent. In part, you know, there, there is a scarcity of left-footed centre-backs in the world. That just is a, a fact, and Famo is someone with a lot of potential. I think on top of that, if you can have a centre-back partnership of Ryan Innes and Akin Pham will grow with this team. I think there's a lot of potential with those two to really be a bedrock for this team going forward. They obviously started together on the final day against Hull, and I think that was not probably intentionally, but that was a little bit of a statement that he chose to go with Famo and Innes in the final potentially biggest game of the season ahead of Jason Pierce. And I think Famo has shown enough this season to make me believe that there's a really, really good player in there and, and one that would partner Innes very, very well. While, as you said, he's still got a lot to work on. So I would be doing what I can to sign him permanently. I think in terms of realisticness, I don't think it's out of the question because obviously Norwich are going up this season. They Famo isn't ready for the Premier League. I think we can say that with a great deal of confidence. He's 22 years old, so they might be looking at it and think, okay, it might be about time to cash in on him. And I think Charlton could be in a position to take advantage of that. In terms of Jaden Stockley, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think he has had a good second half of the season and had Charlton gone to the playoffs or the fact that Charlton got near to the playoffs, I think Stockley was a big part of that. But at the same time, I'm not sure I'd necessarily want to be going into next season with him as my number one striker. And as I was saying earlier, if you have to sacrifice one to bring in a new top-tier striker who can really carry your team in tight games, if Schwartz can't be offloaded, then Stockley might have to be that player. And ultimately, you know, hard decisions are going to have to be made and he might have to be sacrificed. So I wouldn't 
100% sign Stockley. I would if the deal was right and if you were still able to bring in another striker, then I would be happy to sign Stockley as the second choice um, or as another potential option. But I wouldn't guarantee to, to sign him. I would, I would only do it if the, if the deal was right for Charlton. But um, yeah, that is obviously the, the full squad. This is obviously always was going to be a long podcast because we just went through the full at least 14 players who were out of contract slash uh, loan spells ending and obviously both of us like to chat um before we wrap up this one i did want to just ask you obviously you were part of squads that that got promoted two of them in in that 19 the late 90s era um what what do you think went into those squads being so successful and 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 what lessons do you think this rebuild could learn slash what kinds of players do you think this charlton team needs I mean, we've, we've, we've covered it really, but it, in terms of, I, I think there always has to be a balance uh, throughout any team. You, funny enough, I've said this before, you've almost got to have the players out the side are very important as well, because actually that can cause you a lot of trouble within the dressing room if you get a couple of bad eggs that aren't playing. Mm. Uh, that, that can spread throughout the squad. Uh, so it's not just about the eleven. To be honest with you, it's about having a 17, 18-man squad that all wants the best for each other. That's quite difficult to do um, because you always get a couple of egos in there that when, they, when they're left out or they're not playing, they take it personally. They try and spread. And if they can get somebody else who's unhappy to work alongside them, that spreads to two. If, there's, if they can get anybody else on, into that group, it becomes three and four. And all of a sudden, you've got, you've got a little click that's not good for the team. So it's, it's, it's always getting a balance of, of, of youth and experience and, and, and making sure that that spreads across the 18. I like to see a strong spine, mm. but this is why football's football. There is no, uh, there is no set way of, of bringing success to a club. If there was, it would be bottled and it would be worth billions of pounds. Um, and it's very, very difficult. And this is what I've tried to explain to people. It's very, very difficult to be successful in football. And you might not make a successful squad this season. I'm pretty damn sure we're going to go close next year, right? And obviously, we have an owner that's very, very keen to get out of this league as soon as possible, not purely because he, he wants the success. Financially, there is a huge... If you think there's a, I mean, there's a huge gap between the Championship and the Premier League, right? But when you're Charlton Athletic and you've got this 29,000 all-seater stadium, League One's not the league you want to be in. You need to be in the Championship playing against big teams who can bring you know, two, 3,000 fans of it makes a big difference to you. And, and off the pitch, financially, it makes a big difference to you. But on the pitch, I always like to see a very strong spine. Mm-hmm. But I've said earlier, I've said earlier, all the teams that go up, whether it's League Two, League One or the Championship, generally have the best strike forces in the league. You know, that's, if I look back, if you want one thing that, that stood out like a sore thumb when we got promoted, we went from a team that struggled to score goals to a team that scored goals freely. Right, and it's not easy to do because strikers are extremely hard to find. But we went from, you know, I told you, Alan Pardew was our top scorer one year with nine from midfield. You try and you can't win a league. You can't even get in the playoffs with a team that's got a midfielder as your top scorer. And then you go to that, you go from that to winning the championship with two strikers that were thirty goals plus. Andy Hunt and Mendonca scored over sixty goals between them. Uh, so it's it's not rocket science. But finding those players, getting them on board, paying them enough money, then seeing them not get sent off or injured during a 46-game campaign, making sure the consistency behind those, those guys scoring the goals 
is there. You want a back five, really, that doesn't change too much across the year. It develops mm-hmm. and gets stronger and stronger. Um, so it's, it's not rocket science what you need, Benji. I think everybody kind of knows what you need and how to do it. It's pulling it all together in one hit. That's the conundrum. The conundrum is that 24 managers next week, well, maybe not 24, but certainly 10 managers in League One or maybe even more, maybe 15, will believe that they can find a squad that gets them promoted. And only two will get promoted automatically. And there's an awful amount of equations within a 46-game season that leads you getting promoted. And it's not just the quality and it's mm-hmm. not just the strongest squad. It's not just the team with the most money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's an awful amount of things that need to come together to make it successful. But I do believe, and this is the one thing that I have been beating my drum about, is that we do have a club now for the first time in a long time that has a foundation that we can build upon and get stronger and stronger. And that is something that I look forward to I hope they can find a squad next season that challenges automatic promotion if they don't you know I won't be criticising because I know how hard it is to do you know we were we were a heartbeat away from the playoffs this year goal difference alone kept us out so you've got to imagine that we're going to be close to playoffs again next year even with all the issues we have, we've had this year you've got to imagine because the cap's gone you know but you've got Rotherham coming down they're not financially a huge club but they are strong in League One. Mm. Sheffield Wednesday coming down is a huge club. I've played there in front of 40,000 people. It's a huge club. I don't know what they're going to be like financially. Are they in tatters behind the scenes financially? I don't know. Are they going to suddenly find a pot of gold that allows them to... Uh, do they get a points deduction next year? Um, no, they had it this season, not, not next They season. had it this year. I don't believe Okay, so so in that respect, do they find a pot of gold? Does the owner find some money that he invested? That would make them very, very strong. Mm. You know, so so it's it look, it's um somebody's gonna miss out from the playoffs this year. You know, Sunderland miss out, you know, they they like to invest. You know, fans go back in there, they'll get twenty thousand in League One if they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they they've got a bit more money to spend. So there's a lot of things to to consider, but I, I, I'm very positive that Nigel Adkins and Steve Gallen uh, will, 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 will put together a squad that's capable of, mm-hmm. of challenging at the top end of League One. You know, again, having been in football for a long, long time, um, you, you just hope that it all gels into what would become a promotion-winning season. Mm, yeah, no, I would agree. And obviously... You know, there, there, there are so many moving parts and all of them kind of have to come together for a team to actually achieve their potential, even if they have the right players. I do think in terms of what this, this squad needs, I think there's a lot of decent squad players. I think, you know, a lot of the nine that we've talked about, spoke, that we've spoken about, I think they can contribute. But this Charlton team this season has lacked not emotional leaders, but leaders on the pitch who can really step up in hard moments and take a team from draw to win or, or can really, you know, find something special in, in tight moments. And obviously it, it isn't the full barometer of, of, of how Charlton were, but they did have 14 draws this season, which only three clubs in the division had more than. So I think there are a lot of games where, you know, having that decisive goal scorer can change things. I think they definitely need more depth um, and more quality out wide because after Liam Miller's exit, Diayang Jayasimi is the only one left. Brownie's waving his finger to me trying to get a point in. <laughs> well, 
Well, we've not even spoken about the home form. I mean, crikey, you can do what you like with a squad, can't you? You know, but we've got to do something about that home form. It's just been dire. And you can talk about points dropped here. And and this is where statistics are fascinating. But the one thing you can't do is have a home form like that again and expect Mm -hmm. to get promoted. We've done well. with our. You you might not match your away form because that was exceptional this year. And it was a very unusual year. But we've got to certainly do something about our home form. It certainly was looking a little bit stronger towards the end of the season under Nigel. But yeah, I, that is what's cost us this year. Despite all the other things that we talk about, the lack of consistency, the injuries, this and that, our home form is what's cost us this year, which is incredible, really, when you look at the season and how disruptive it was. Less, less home wins this season in a, in a playoff race than last season in relegation from the championship, which kind of says it all right there. I, I think, you know, what would be extremely helpful for this team is a real an almost a rock of a defensive midfielder who can kind of a break up play, but also dictate a little bit. I think, you know, we, we've spoken about it, but Ben Watson and Darren Prattley, they can all, they can each do part of the job, but neither can really do both sides of the job. Both lack mobility. Prattley obviously lacks a little bit of uh, ability on the ball. Watson lacks some ability off the ball and is a bit too easy to cut through. I think Charlton still haven't really replaced Josh Cullen once, once his loan ended, he was kind of that player who could do it all. And while, you know, you may not be able to find someone of his, his quality in League One because he really was an exceptional player. I do think that needs to be strengthened because Prattley and Watson played a combined 71 appearances this season, which is, I think, way too many, at least for next season. They need to be playing a lot more if either of them are still around. So I'd be looking at that. And, and you know, there, there, there's a lot of work to do. That just is a fact. That's, that's, that's something that can't be avoided. There's a lot of work. This team needs players who can take them over the edge. They obviously were almost good enough this season to reach the playoffs, but I do think that's a big reason why they only almost reached the playoffs. Next season, you want a team that's going to be ideally challenging for automatic promotion from the first day of the season. And as you said, you know, it might not work out. The team might finish third and then, you know, losing the playoff final or whatever to a last minute goal. These things happen, but you do want a team that I think can challenge every single other team next season and can challenge for automatic promotion from the first day of the season. And to do that, you need decisive game changers. You need a decisive goal scorer. I think you need a decisive winger or two. And I think you need a decisive center midfielder. And you need people who can operate under pressure because the expectation mm-hmm. level is going to be great next year. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we can talk it down, we can talk it up, but what, you know, the people that have to operate under pressure are the players. So you've got to find people that when the going gets a bit tough, if there's a little blip, if, uh, if, if for 60 minutes you're not performing very well, those mm-hmm. players have to dig deep and keep you in the game and then find a way to win it. Mm-hmm. You know, because the one thing you do know across a 46-game season is you're not going to have it all your own way. Yeah. And so, therefore, that's when the leadership quality kicks in. And that's when players who can operate under a bit of pressure come to the forefront. Um, you know, you can, you can have great players that maybe win your player of the year, but they don't operate fantastically when under pressure. But when you're playing well and when you're on the front foot and you're confident, they're brilliant. But actually, when you're not, they struggle a little bit. And you need you do need a fair amount of people that can operate under intense pressure, mm. uh, particularly if, if, if the expectation levels are where, they're, where I expect them to be next year. Because if you, start, if you start the season after 10 games and you're 15th, you've got to dig yourself out of a big hole. Yeah, there's going to be big, pressure big there. 
And obviously, yes. fans are going to be in the stadium next season, so players will feel the pressure if, they're, if, if, if the situation isn't going well. And obviously, even if the situation is going well, there's added pressure with that as well because, as you said, expectation rises and suddenly you're in the hunt for a, for a promotion spot and you can't really afford to let that slip. So you are absolutely right. I think pressure is going to be a big thing next season. But before we wrap up, because this has been one of our longer ones, um, on the, I think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like all I've got no time. idea. I've no idea what the time is. Nothing. Brownie just no, talks and lets me keep track of the agenda. But um, <laughs> I think that's the best way of doing it. On, on the topic of pressure, and before we wrap up, on this week in Brownie's career, because there was a very easy one to do this week, and I, I'm very confident you're going to remember it. On this week in 1998 was the two-legged playoff semifinal against Ipswich, which Charlton won 2-0 oh, yeah. on aggregate, 1-0 each leg. Really quickly, um, what, what are your sort of recollections of those two legs? Uh, I remember that Ipswich paid us very little respect. They okay. thought they were going to go through that one. There was a couple of articles that their players did during the week. They were almost like, well, not they were almost like, they basically said, um, we're delighted we've got Charlton. Almost like it's a sidestep to the final. Uh, and And... This is why I say to you, you know, players are aware of things that are being said. They're aware of articles. They might not go searching for it, but certainly when it's stuff like that, it, it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get told about it. Um, so when we went up there and won one nil, and there was, a, there was an interesting moment after the game, actually, um, up there. One of their players, a left back uh, called um, Tariqio. Tariqio? Tariqio. Mm-hmm. He made a gesture to Neil Heaney, who we had on loan from Man City at the time a threat and Neil just popped him with a left hook broke his oh. jaw yeah and and actually funny enough that made us even more determined I think in the return leg to get through because they just they were a good team at Switch but they just paid us absolutely zero respect on and off the field by the looks of it um, and so it was nice to do over 180 minutes not even concede a goal go through um, and, and it was one of those moments where that's, you know, when you talk about when did you think you were a good side, when you're turning over teams like Ipswich without conceding a goal over 180 minutes, you know you're getting better, you know you're on the mm. right path. Um, and it was, I mean, the, the whole, if, if you want one moment of those two legs, and I think I was subbing both, I was absolutely sat in the dugout right behind the moment when Sean Newton stepped over, cut inside that left foot and then hit the stanchion. And I tell you what, you could ask Sean to do that a hundred times on that left foot and he would not hit it as well as he hit it that night. It flew into the stanchion. I was right behind it. It wasn't going anywhere else. The keeper wasn't getting anywhere near it. And then the rest was down to, like I said, you know, a team that was functioning very, very well at the time. Mm. You know, we had a midfield that could cover an awful amount of ground. We had a back four that was extremely tight, a goalkeeper that wasn't conceding at that point. Um, and, and we made it through. But yeah, that, I mean, that was a special season, actually. Mm. Um, I, I only enjoyed one season more than that. And that was the year we won the championship, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was, was an exceptional year. But yeah, no, it was. Um, I do remember that one, Benji. But that's that's the standout moment, the moment when Sean did that step over. And I, I, I promise you, not I was, I was right in the line of the shot on the stanchion, and it was brilliant, brilliant. And there was a great atmosphere at the Valley that night as well. Yeah, I remember that. 
that's what people say. I've, I've heard people calling it, you know, at least up until that point, one of the best atmospheres they'd experienced. I think a lot of people now say sort of the Doncaster second leg a couple of years ago when Charlton went through. Uh, yeah, that was good. I was there. Yeah, I was there. The fans obviously flooded the pitch. That was special as well. But, you know, that, that team just refused to concede goals, at least down the stretch, and the, the, until the final, yeah. obviously. And those two legs against Ipswich were a great example of that. To go 180 minutes in a playoff semifinal and not concede a goal, that is pretty special, and that's going to make it very hard for you not to go through. And obviously that team did go through, eventually got promoted in that classic playoff final and reached the Premier League. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues with the team this season. Defensively, they struggled at various times. And I think there is a lot of sort of elements they can look at from both those promotion teams that you were a part of and think – this is, uh, this, this, is, this is a way to build because that team had a little bit of everything at times. It had goals, it had defense, it had a midfield that was sort of unwilling to relent and it obviously did win two promotions in the space of three years as well as one relegation. But that, unfortunately, Charlton fans, or fortunately if you're listening and just want this to end, <laughs> that is all the time we have today. I want to thank every single one of you for listening, not just today, but ever since we started this podcast a few months ago, the support has has been fantastic and you know we we just are happy that we're being able to give you something that at times you may enjoy even if at times you may be thinking shut up already but um again just want to thank i'm just whilst you're saying that right i've just had a i've just opened the phone up and i've just had a tweet from smudge and it says enjoyed listening to you i think this is in reference to the commentary who's not the podcast but it could be the podcast enjoyed listening to you all open brackets we had no choice with steve paid by the word brown (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and as, Benji, if we weren't paid by the word, we'd be millionaires. We really wouldn't. Be, you'll, you'll be happy to hear Charlton fans that I'm not paying Brownie a penny. He's doing it all for free. Um, well, Brownie, I, uh, I certainly appreciate you going on this little mini podcast journey with me because I've certainly enjoyed chatting with you over these weeks. I, I hope others have enjoyed it. I do think that it's likely we'll do a few more, even if it doesn't happen every week. I think even though we, we haven't necessarily planned much in advance, I think we probably will do a few more as there's always interesting stuff going on with Charlton, it seems like. But for this season, for 2021, I think that is us signing out. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this. Um, feel free to drop a, a comment or, 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 or a like on a Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will hopefully see you soon. So thank you again. This has been Benji and Brownie bringing you Brownie and Benji. Till next time. Take care, everyone.